What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that I get to share with my brothers and sisters in Christ as you have kept us in good health and perfect peace. We're thankful, we're thankful to you, Lord, that all that you do, Lord, the things that we're unworthy of, the way that you've provided for us, Lord, when we've been unfaithful, we just want to thank you for being an awesome God and not holding these things against us. By, by your grace, Lord, that we're able to do the things that we can do. For we know, Lord, that it is not of our works, for none of us are righteous. We know that there's nothing that we do that makes you love us. Your love is unconditional. We could never live up, Lord, to the standard of being accepted through conditions, Lord, except by your grace. So I'm asking in the name of Jesus, Lord, that your Holy Ghost fall mightily upon us right now. Lord, I'm asking that your spirit will touch everyone in this room, Lord, for the eyes and ears who can't see or hear. I'm asking, Lord, that these words not go in vain. I'm asking that we not utter words, Lord, that don't come from you. Lord, and I'm just asking, I'm just so thankful that you have kept us, Lord, in these difficult times where no people are beginning to wonder what they believe in this world. Lord, you've got rioting. You've got all sorts of things going on. But, Lord, we are supposed to be the light and salt of the earth that are supposed to do your will. Well, hopefully, Lord, we find out tonight what it's actually going to cost. What is it really going to mean, Lord, to walk with Jesus? And, Lord, we just ask that your Holy Ghost be upon us, that we may be able to grow every day, becoming more like you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of distraction, jealousy, malice, hatred, Lord, every spirit of fear, every spirit of doubt or unbelief. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. Lord, I'm asking that you do these things for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so tonight's study is going to be called Count the Cost. Okay, um, a lot of people don't, may not understand what that means, but it is something that Jesus had said concerning us and concerning our walk with him. You know, um, many people get into this thing and they decide to follow Jesus because it's things that their parents may have told them. You know, it's things that they're, um, you know, they might have heard from someone or they might have had difficult times in their lives and they discovered Jesus by his grace and they decide to follow him for a while, but that many people have never counted the cost to wonder, what is it going to take to stay here? What am I going to have to give up to walk with him? You know, and is everything that I do, is it pleasing to him? 
So I'm talking nothing more than entering into relationship with him and knowing who Jesus Christ is because when you know him, when you enter into relationship with him, then there are things that he wants us to do. There are things that he's going to want us to follow because the whole goal is to have Jesus Christ in us that we may walk this thing out with him. It's not our righteousness in this world that will get the job done. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is in us that will make the difference in those who pursue him and those who don't. Okay, so um, again, you know, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of SoundTrumpetMinistries.com. Um, it should be a really good study, but I always like to begin with the Psalm. So let's get started at Psalm 72. Right. Uh, Psalm 72 in verse 1, and it says, Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness, and thy poor with judgment. The mountain shall uh, bring peace to the people, and to the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy. He shall break in pieces the oppressor. They uh, shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. So quickly here we learn about our God, that he is a righteous God, that he's going to meet the needs of the people. For those who do righteous, the Lord will always be with them. He says that they will inherit the earth along with the meek. And he said the righteous shall be filled. But when you go into the oppressor, you know, it's an interesting thing because... There are a lot of Christians that don't even believe that we have an enemy. You know, there are many that believe that it's all in your conscience. Um, just tell the devil to stop bothering you when things come into your life. But we have to understand, like Paul says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. So even when you see people being oppressed, they may be homeless, they may not have a lot of things. Or when you see, you know, taxes going up, or you see the president, you know, signs on a bill that has something to do with promoting things that are against the word of God, then we have to know that those things are not being led by people and but principalities and powers which the Bible speaks of. Okay, so there is a real living entity that we have in this world that goes against God, that goes against his people, and influences people to do the things they do. Because very few of our thoughts really belong to us. We're either inspired by one or two things. Mm -hmm. One is God or the other is Satan, and there is no middle ground. Right. I know in many cases when God tells us to do things, you know, he makes himself known so that we may follow. You know, he gives us his grace and his time to pass his word through people so we may understand. But when the enemy passes thoughts into your mind, he's a little deceptive because he wants people to believe that he doesn't exist. Okay, so right away you'll think that the thoughts are yours, and they're really not. And the word inspiration means to be breathed upon by a spirit. That's the real definition of that word. I know they try and say, you know, to be inspired by, but the truest definition is to be breathed upon by a spirit. So you can be inspired to do good things as well as bad things. But like I said, where the enemy comes from, he'll make you think that your thoughts are yours. And, you know, they're, they're not. So... The Lord is going to judge righteously, even the oppressor, even the people who could care less about the poor that will think that it's okay to, you know, send you to college for four years or however long you're there and then decide to keep you in debt almost the rest of your life just to try and get an education. 
stuff like that. You know, things that bind you to to things that you wouldn't. It shouldn't take all of that to get an education. If this was really a world where they cared about you, they would make it affordable. But as you can see, they like to keep some people out and let other people in. And I'm not talking scholarships because in many cases you got to pay that stuff back too. So, you know, so he's just going to deal with all this unrighteousness, these unfair, just you know, weights and measures, unjust weights and measures. All right, verse five, and it says, and they shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the upon the mown grass as showers uh, that water that water the earth. In his days shall the righteous flourish and abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. So in his days, in the coming of the Lord, there will be righteousness and it will flourish in abundance. You don't see that anywhere really. I know that they tell people you can have the American dream and own a house and do this and that. And, you know, those things are great things. But once you've taken 30 years to pay off your house, guess what? The house is still not yours. Don't pay the taxes and then you'll see who the house really belongs to. You know, even with a car, you know, and insurance and everything. Everyone gets so excited. I own my car now. In Satan's kingdom, you don't own a thing. Mm -hmm. Stop paying your insurance and find out if it's really your car or not. Okay, so... These are things that we need to really pay attention to that no matter what inspirations come to us in this life, we will always deal with unfair, <laughs> unfair weights and measures, you know, like usury, where they would call that on the street loan sharking, you know, but uh, in the bank, you know, that's a loan, but we're going to charge interest, you know, to make sure that you pay it back. I mean, you know, the Bible speaks against usury, but we'll continue. This is verse eight. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. Now you understand where, you know, I try and tell people that you either worship God or Satan in this world. But even if you don't worship and believe in God or Jesus Christ, you will bow the knee one day regardless. And that's what people don't understand is. He's still your God. Whether you accept him or not, whether you like him or not, he's still God, and he makes no apologies for it. So you may want to do it willingly, bow before him one day, or you're going to do it grudgingly, but either way, you will confess that, Je excuse me, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's right. All right, and then when they say about lick the dust, now you know where they get the terms, bite the dust. <laughs> See, everything comes out of the word. But verse 10, the kings of Tarshish and the isles... And of the isles uh, shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall, shall serve him. And he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence. And, um... Precious shall their blood be in his sight. So, you know, this is talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Even though this is the book of Psalms, this is clearly talking about our salvation. The only one who can save souls is Jesus Christ. Mm, so right. he was around even before he uh, came to the earth, 15. And he shall live and uh, to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually and daily shall he be praised. 
There shall be an handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains, of the fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. So imagine having so much abundance, so much food, so much growth, that he's measuring it like to what mountains would be like, that our cup would never run dry. This is in God's kingdom. All right, so it says in verse 17, His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun and men shall be blessed in him, and nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So, you know, David had a heart after the Lord. Uh, David speaks of the glorious Lord that we serve, how marvelous and magnificent he is. So we ought to take a you know time to read Psalms and other things in the Word to get a real grasp of what God of who God is and how much grace and love that He has towards us. The Bible says that His His thoughts towards us are as of the sand of the sea. It's innumerable, you know. And and look at how imperfect we are, but look at how His love endures. So this is who you would want to hang out with. <laughs> I mean, you know, instead of the world, which tells you if you want to be good enough then you need to blah, 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 only to find out you're still not good enough, but you're just doing more in this in this world. Okay, so from here, I want to go to Luke uh, 14. We're going to get started on this count the cost, you know, what this is about. So we'll go to Luke 14, and we'll start at verse 1. Anybody have any questions, anything they want to add, they can. And you guys can speak freely here. I know this is your first time being here, but any opinions that people may have, they don't bother us one bit. I think that things should be open to discussion because perhaps there may be things said that someone may not understand or disagree with. Either way, it doesn't bother me, you know. I'm here to represent the Lord, not myself. So you guys will never hurt me with opinions or any, you know, anything that you want to add. Am I right? That's right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's go to Luke 14 and verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the of chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Dropsy is kind of like what you would call edema today. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it's like when people have inflammation in their limbs, and it's a real ugly thing like having excess water in their bodies in certain areas and causes a lot of pain. So this is what this man's condition was. And Jesus answering spake unto lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit? It will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day. So this is Jesus here again, you know, making it clear that he's Lord of the Sabbath, that the Sabbath day does not rule over him, that we are not under the law, which when the Sabbath was given. So, you know, he's just putting his emphasis on this. And they could not answer him again uh, to these things. And he put forth a parable of those which were bidden uh, when he marked how uh, they chose out of the chief room, saying uh, unto them, When thou art bidden... 
of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden to him. And he, um, and he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. So right here, the Lord is actually dealing with pride. He's saying that there are a lot of people, and I found this in churches growing up, where, you know, you got the pastor on a high chair. You know, you may have the deacons around, and then you got the mother of the church. Then you got the first lady. And it's like everybody's got their perfect spaces in here, like as if they're that much more important. But if you were to have people come in and it was really about serving the people, you could care less whether you had a high chair or not. You know, this is all about worshiping the Lord. And a lot of people don't know that the pastor is supposed to be a chief servant. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He did things for his people. So he came to serve, not to get accolades about being the son of God. So this is what he's talking about here is humiliation. You know, just allowing yourself to be lowered and God will exalt you. Verse 10, but when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. And when he had bade uh, thee cometh, he may say unto thee, friend, go up higher. Then, um, then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sat at meat with thee. And whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now quickly here, you know, we learn that the way to God's kingdom is down. I know that the world tells you to push yourself up and be the best that you can be. In God's kingdom, humility is what brings forth the exaltation. When you lower yourself, I mean, there are times when, you know, we might have had study here, and someone may present something that, of course, I've heard before. But the bottom line is we're supposed to encourage other people to go on. Not like, oh, man, I know that, you know, so what? No, it's the encouragement, like, hey, you know, good, you know, awesome. Someone may call you with a scripture, and they're like, man, did you know this? And I'm like, well, I'm glad you found it, you know, praise the Lord. But you're not supposed to be, man, you don't know that? Man, you dumb as a box of rocks. No, that's, that's wrong. We're supposed to be humble, you know, humiliation. Perhaps a person can teach you something that you read over. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the way to God's kingdom is down. But this is verse 12. Then said he also to him that bade him, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. You know, I saw this one time in my church growing up where there was a drunk man that came into the church. And he looked like he was kind of homeless, like a, you know, like a bum. Mm -hmm. And he came in and wanted to sit down. And I remember the deacons removing him and throwing him out of the church. And I remember my dad was there at the time that said, you know what? That man needed to be in here. Who needs the gospel more than someone that is in, you know, dire conditions? Mm -hmm. But see, when you're high-minded, you think, wait a minute, we can't have his filth in here. The pastor's about to preach, so we need to get rid of this guy. You know, so we need to really check ourselves because Jesus always worried about the widows and the oppressed, the people that didn't have, the people that really need the gospel, that really need help. That's right. All right? But you find a lot of church people, we look out for one another, but... Our limit only goes to, well, is your situation bad enough? Are you possibly on drugs where I can get you help? We stop there. We're at the point of, 
Well, unless they come into the church and act right, they can't get in here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Lord's against that. Verse 14, And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So what we understand, too, is, you know, one thing that I do today, and I'm not trying to brag, I'm just saying that God revealed to me that not to, to lend anymore, you know, but to give. Because if you if you believe God that much, then you can give it knowing that your God is going to pay you back. Mm -hmm. But anytime you tell people, well, I'm going to have this back on Thursday, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with lending, but it also shows less faith in your God, to be honest. But I've noticed since I've been giving and not caring, and the Lord's been blessing, he's seeing that I go without. Because there were days that I didn't have it, only to receive a phone call from someone Hey, um, I just wanted you to know, remember that money you gave me a while back? Well, I just want to give it back to you. You know, or I might have seen just some weird circumstance would come where I might have had uh, a few bucks and I wanted to print something out for the study. And, you know, we were, remember the day we were oh, at Office yeah. Depot? Um, we came in to, we found $20 outside. Sarah found it. So we walk in the Office Depot and we're just you know, waiting on our stuff. And we got a, we heard someone call on the phone there and say, hey, have you seen my $20? You know, we didn't hear the conversation, but someone told the woman to hold on and said, did anybody find $20 in here or whatever like that? So Sarah handed it over. And the guy was like, oh, thank you. Then he said, after we, when we were about to pay for our things, he said, oh, how much was that? Well, like nine something. And he's like, man, don't worry about it. He said, it's on the house. He said, by the way, you have $10 more credit if you want to get something else. And we're like, no, we're good. But it's just little things like that that God can do when you are unselfish and righteous. Because a lot of people would have said, well, I don't know who if that was their money or not. Someone else would have taken it. So I'll just take it. But then that's the way of the heathen. Mm -hmm. If we're really following God and believing him, then we have to know that he's watching every little thing we do. Mm -hmm. He's got to be that real to you where no one else saw it. But guess who did? All right. So exactly. So verse 15, and it says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come for all these, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first one said unto him, I have brought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, um, have me excused. So, you know, to make a long story short concerning this, this is talking about God, Jesus Christ having a marriage supper one day. And he spoke to every single one of us about the gospel and about the goodness of Jesus Christ. But why most people won't come to Jesus, read Matthew 13 in your spare time. But a lot of people are, you know, offended with the gospel. A lot of people have things that they think are greater here than following Jesus. Mm -hmm. So he's saying that this man just made excuse to say, Oh, well, I've got ground. I've got something to do right now, but can you excuse me? So these people are more focused on worldly things than following the kingdom, you know, than following Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. 
And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And now, you know, you hear this a lot, man. You know, this is, this is how serious the gospel is. One of the disciples who was Peter was married, but you don't have much interaction between Peter and his wife. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a wife, but even married, if you intend to follow Jesus, that there is a part of you that you've got to have that time with him, too, to get to know him. This is not a group salvation where you say, well, you know, uh, my wife and I, we're going to do this. Now, it's great when couples interact in the ministry together and they do things together. But overall, you know, some people make the excuse, I got a wife, I got this now, I have children, I can't make it. Hey, man, you know, it's not an excuse is what we're about to find out. There's a place for everything in the kingdom of God. You can. He gave you a wife and kids to enjoy, but God needs his time too. Mm -hmm. All right, so he says in verse 21, So that servant came and shewed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and, um, and lanes in the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed, and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done, as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my, um, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Okay, so Jesus, you know, when he talked about the two greatest commandments that we ought to have is one, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two laws, take on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. So he's saying that, you know, we should really want to minister to people. If we believe in Jesus Christ, that we shouldn't be passing people by on the street that want to come in. What makes this salvation any less than theirs? Now, some people would say, well, Lord, you know, I work for a living. You know, I have greater responsibilities. But it sounds like here, Jesus Christ could care less. Not that he's not concerned about your family, but he's saying, too, if you love these things more than me, then there's no way that you can serve me. And I know that sounds rough. I know people would say, what kind of God would put his husband or his wife or his children against him? But Jesus is saying the most important thing is your salvation. The most important thing is the will of God. Now, I know because we've been conditioned in church, we think we just do our one little time on Sunday and, you know, you pay your tithe and you step out and you've done your Christian duty. But the Bible calls, calls for us to do more than this because there are certain things that, you know, what's greater than saving souls? How many hands have we shaken of people that have gone to hell because we never even mentioned anything to them? Mm -hmm. We can be on, on a job for 10 years and no one knows you're a Christian. So it says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come, come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I know that sounds rough. The word hate is not really the word that's used there. It meant like the word hate here means to love more. If you love any of these things more than Jesus Christ, you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why? If you had family members, let's just say that the stuff that I'm, I'm talking about now may seem, they may seem extreme. But what if I'm telling you the truth and then you have a family member that is a traditionalist that will say, 
it doesn't take all of that. Don't listen to this person. You go on and you live your life and God will love you regardless. Now, let's just say you listen to that, but I was the one that was telling you the truth. You can't serve God then. But if you understood that, wait a minute, Mom, I love you, Dad, I love you, but the Bible reads clear. These things are what God requires, and I must do them. Mm -hmm. So his word is overall, you know? It's not held up by this other stuff. Now, I mean, this sounds cold, but let's, let's understand why. Verse 27, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So he's pretty much talking about when it comes to bearing your cross, denying self. There's a lot of things that you have to deny to walk with Jesus. I know a lot of churches don't talk about this, but, you know, the things we may like to go out and hang out and drink and do things. And someone will say, well, I'm not drunk. I'm just having an occasional drink. But yet and still, that time that you're doing these things takes away from the time that you could be doing things for the Lord. Not to mention, if we were to speak on a spiritual scale, they name these drinks things for a reason, mm -hmm. okay? They don't call uh, Grey Goose Grey Goose because it's Grey Goose, all right? They don't call Absolute and all these other things, Red Dragon and you name it, you know, all these things just because, man, there's just, you know, a mix of good liquor and I can drink it. I know I'm going to lose people with this, but... Drugs themselves, be they alcohol or anything else, they open you up to spiritual things. Mm -hmm. You know, even if they don't fill you with anything, they, they lower your resistance to resisting sin. Okay, and this is why a drunk man speaks sober thoughts. This is why when someone gets drunk, they can just speak loosely because their guard is down. They don't care what they're saying as long as they feel like it's true. But people have known for a long time when you experiment with drugs and things, Spirits can enter. And this is why people may be afraid to dance before they start drinking. Once they start once they start drinking, man, you tear up the floor. You know, you rerun from what's happening. You're doing your thing. I mean, you are really getting into it because you've lost consciousness of everything else. You're being moved by something else. So <laughs> I try to be funny, but um all right, so this is um verse twenty-eight. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to, um, to finish it? So the Lord is saying, if you're going to walk with him, he wants you to take an, an evaluation of who he is, what he desires, what he likes, because there's nothing worse than not counting the cost. And I'm going to prove that. Let's go to Matthew 13 real quick. I know we've gone over this before, but... You know, counting the cost is a really big deal because there's nothing like getting to the store excited about something you're going to buy only to find out that your card has declined, all right, or you're a little short. And then you got to come up with that, oh, um, you, what time you guys close? All right, I'll be right back. And see, that's why they started putting ATMs inside of stores because they're like, you don't have to leave. You can stay here. Be, oh, no, I'll be back. They know you're not coming back. There's nothing worse than doing that. I mean, imagine being engaged and you're going to buy your wife this beautiful ring. You know, and you get there and you, I'm sorry, the car was declined. I mean, you know, that's what I say, have American Express. You know, like, hey, you want Jesus Express. Exactly. So we'll go to Matthew 13 and we'll start at verse 18. And it says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. 
when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, um, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So in the beginning um, of this chapter, Jesus talks about that, you know, there was a sower that planted seeds. Some seeds fell on the wayside, meaning they didn't even touch dirt. Some fell in stony places, you know, so the seeds couldn't break through. Then there were some seeds because they were in bad areas. They were choked up by thorns. And then there were others that, you know, brought in good fruit. It landed on good ground. So this is the first one that fell on the wayside. It means it didn't even get close. And then it says, um, and catcheth away. But then come the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So what we understand here is, and I've seen this happen many times. You go to preach the gospel and you tell people about Jesus and you'll find some people, everyone's not here for the same purpose. Some people are here because they got nothing else better to do. There are other people that are here and they hear it and they'll say, you know what, this sounds good. Oh, you know, it, it touched me, but I'll, I'll have to give it some more thought before I pursue it. That's the individual that the enemy comes in and just says, man, do you really want to go back there? Do you really want to pursue this? I'll tell you what, why don't we go the following week? But when you get time at the end of the month, now you know momentum is a serious thing. You start doing one thing enough, and before you know it, it'll be months before you've been at church. Mm. All right, so this is how the enemy works. Then there's verse 21, and it says, 20, 20 okay, and it says, But he that receiveth seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and Anon, which is immediately with joy, receiveth it. So these are the people, man, when they come in and they think they've heard the truth, they amen, yeah, brother, preach, preach. Yeah, this is what I've been, this is, yeah, you know, he's bringing the truth. All right, so look at verse 21. Yet he hath not root in himself. So he's not grounded in the word. He's just someone excited. But doreth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Now, I'm going to go out and say this. Um, there are some people, like I said, all they want to hear about is the goodness of Jesus. But when you think about what I've already mentioned tonight, as far as nothing can be more important than Jesus, you'd find people offended. If you were to tell people that the Bible speaks about homosexuality as a sin, people would get offended. If you tell people that the prosperity gospel and trying to get rich in the church is against God, if you're a fan of Joe Osteen or Creflo Dollar or any of these guys you see on TV, you're offended by this. So he says they do it for a while. But then when trouble comes, then when you find out you've got to preach the gospel for Jesus Christ, then when you find out that Jesus doesn't just take anybody that's going to do nothing, he'll take you, but he'll never leave you that way. So these people will become offended and say, you know what? I don't think I want to follow Jesus anyway, because if he really loved me, he shouldn't put conditions in my life. He should love my cousin because my cousin's homosexual. So as far as I'm concerned, and, and it's not a question of whether or not Jesus loves someone. Jesus loves everyone. But he has conditions on what is righteous and what is unrighteous. And homosexuality is no different than any other sin. If I'm sleeping with a married woman, okay, I don't care how much of the gospel I preach. If I'm doing that, then I am on the wrong side of Jesus Christ needing him to make my life right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this this is the area where people have it with joy. They'll have it in their soul. 
but it never reached the spirit, which is where it needs to be, where you're one-to-one -one with God. Okay, so it says, um, so the person gets offended. They want nothing to do with it. Verse 22, he also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. So there, there are some people that will believe everything this Bible says. I believe it. I've got no problem with any of this. But you did not know that you got to make time for Jesus, which is what we were just reading. Some people, well, I got my job. I can't make it. Got to make time for Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about making time for Jesus is coming here. I'm talking about having your own relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? Because the, uh, the church is full of lively stones, which are people that have Christ built in them to do the will of God, mm -hmm. okay? That's the church. Everything else is just a building, all right? But the point is, is that these people will pursue things of the world more than pursuing God's things. So you see, even though they believe, they become unfruitful because their attention becomes divided. You know, it's like, well, I want to have time for Jesus, but I got school, I've got this, I've got that. And as we read in the previous passage, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. But he that receiveth the seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. So we understand that this is one who understands that, hey, Lord, your work is first. Even at the job I'm at now, I'm still ministering, talking to people. It may cost me my job, but it wouldn't be the first time. Mm -hmm. But this is when you become God conscious. Right. So, you know, there are three levels to man where we begin. First, you're world conscious, which means you care about everything in the world. You're affected by the world, things that people may say. You may think that there is no way to exist outside of this world. So you're, you're, you're self-conscious. I mean, no, you're world conscious. When you get into the soul, because what I just described was the flesh, but when you enter into the soul and you become self-conscious, then you start, you know, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe this is going on. Um, I should treat people better. I should do this and that. You know, you get that reflection of you, then you're in your soul. But when you get into the spirit, you become God-conscious. So that's why when people are in the world, they know that, that, that something may be right and they can't follow it. It's because all they have is remorse. I mean, all they have is regret. Okay? When they get into the soul and they become self-conscious, then they have remorse. But when you get into God-conscious, then you experience repentance. The only way to repent of and live a Christian life or a life suitable for God is to recognize that it is God that you offend. That is when you are spirit to spirit with God and you become God-conscious. Well, you don't care what anyone thinks. You care what he thinks. Mm -hmm. And everything else will filter out from there. So that's a walk that we have to do in our lives if we want to pursue him. But you're going, just like the children of Israel, from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land. Okay? And this is how we work things out, pursuing him. So this person, you can say, made it into the spirit and they pursued the Lord. But the point that Jesus was making as far as counting the cost is... You know, there are conditions. There are things that he wants from us. And as we become more God-conscious, you'll find that those things are not so hard as they seem. When we don't want to do the things that the Lord calls us to do, it's our flesh that's fighting it. It's not, it's not your spirit. That's why the Bible says that the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. 
but your flesh will tell you, man, I don't want to read the Bible. You ever try reading the Bible sometimes and you get sleepy? <laughs> That's because your flesh is not trained to pursue Jesus Christ. But once you make anything a habit, you know, you get stronger in it. You become more focused. So it's all about training the, the, the flesh to obey the spirit. The soul is neutral. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay, so it can go either way. You can have your soul obey your flesh and be a wretched sinner. You can have your soul obey God and become, you know, a saint. But either way, the soul is neutral. So just imagine finding the flesh on one end in a link, the spirit on the other, and you got the soul in the middle, which is your mind, will, and your emotions, and they're both tugging. They're both pulling. No, I want to pursue Jesus. No, you need to come and have some fun in the world and forget about that stuff. Okay, so once you get the soul to obey the spirit, then the flesh becomes, you know, it's accepted. You know, because the flesh is being governed by the spirit. Does that make sense or did I just confuse you guys at all? Not to study on that. That makes sense. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Oh, right here. Right. The, you'll see it like... Yeah, see. As soon as you turn. All right, so from here, let's move on. Let's go to First uh, Timothy chapter 6. Matter of fact, you guys are going to hate me for this. Um, let's go to Matthew 6. I want to go to Matthew 6 first. And we'll start at verse 19. All right. Matthew 6 and 19, and it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth, um, rust doth corrupt or where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do break through and steal. So we understand where, what Paul said about everything that is invisible is eternal, but everything that we can see is temporal. You know, you can have a diamond watch, you can have a house, a car, whatever, that house needs to stay in repairs. Your car, when it breaks down, you'll get another. So you'll always find yourself either trying to protect, put an alarm on, or do something mm -hmm. just to maintain what you have. But Jesus is saying, man, lay up treasures where nobody's going to steal here. Right. All right, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So you see what we read last about your heart, you know, about pursuing you know, family before Jesus and money before Jesus and all these things. He's saying where your treasure is, there will your heart be. So if your heart is after the world, it can't be after God. Verse 22, the light of the body is the eye, and therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? So this is talking about when a lot of people won't pursue the truth because you have other religions out there that think that they have their truth. But what if that was your inspiration? If your inspiration was something of the world, if your inspiration was, you know, in a sinful life, if your inspiration was into false religion, mm -hmm. and that is the only light, that is the light that is in your eye, then imagine if it's not true, how great is that darkness? Mm -hmm. Think about it. That means you're almost totally blind. Because if your eyes are supposed to, you know, attract that which is light, 
and then those are dark, then you're pretty much walking around blind. Your perspective is messed up. Exactly. All right, verse 24, no man can serve two masters for either he, sh he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I want to make this point quick before I go further. This does not mean be homeless. Okay, it does not mean don't have anything. All, all that the Lord is saying here is, if you're going to use the money, use it to help the homeless, and the Lord will bless you. But he's saying you can't serve money. It can't be your God. It can't dictate what you do outside of God. Okay, so this is why he's saying, you know, you can have the money, but don't let the money control you. Now, anyone who's ever pursued money, look at where their lives have gone. Mm -hmm. You don't become a prostitute because you like to be that way. You start out pursuing the money. Okay, and then before you know it, you got a drug habit. Now you're hooked into whatever it is, and the money is irrelevant. Right. Now you just do it to support your habit. But the money is what led you in. And that's a you know rough example, but I'm just saying overall that a lot of people have pursued money. And one thing I've learned about a rich man and a poor man is their lives are pretty much the same. The rich man may have things that he's able to afford, but now he's got to worry about who he can trust with all these riches. So his life is somewhat miserable because there's no one you can trust when you're like that. They both die. They both worry. They both get sick. They have almost the same life, except one is able to afford more in the natural world. But outside of that, they're pretty much the same guy. So these things can't complete you. These things can't give you a life of abundance. They're here to enjoy certain things, but they don't take away the, the void in your life. They don't take away the pain that you may have in your life. Only God can do that. Verse right. 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, for what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what uh, ye shall put on. Uh, is it not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap. Nor gather into bonds, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? So, this is a walk of a, of a mature Christian. I don't want to even say mature. I want to say someone who truly believes God 100%. Whenever you can find yourself walking off the job, leaving your home to pursue Jesus Christ and everything that he's telling you, and the Lord is telling you, I will provide as you go, mm -hmm. man, that's real faith. That is true faith. And I, I won't lie to you. I have not done this yet. I've trusted him in many situations where I lost my job and they wanted me to work on the days that we were to have study. And I'm like, I can't do it. So I went for a month without work until the Lord provided me with something else. But I've never stepped out on total faith. I can be real enough to say that where I've just left everything in my life and just went. Yeah, Martin. I thought you did it when he left Brooklyn. That's true, but I left Brooklyn not knowing the Lord. So, I mean, you know, that was one thing. I got in trouble out here, and then the Lord told me, you know, he He brought me closer to him. But I left New York a heathen. I mean, I was I was low down and wretched. I was out there pursuing my ex-fiance. I wasn't here for Jesus. Thank God he found me. But, but yeah, the point is, he said the birds here. If you haven't noticed, birds don't pack away food. Okay, they wake up every morning, dig through garbage, someone feeds them or whatever, but they get fed. They don't have the worries that we do. God sees to it. You've never seen a bird walking around skin and bones. 
They always eat. Even when you throw a cat out on the street, that cat's not skinny. It looks like they even grow in size. You know, they become huge. And, you know, but the Lord takes care of his people is what he's saying. But this is this is pure faith. So then he says, which of you, by um, taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spend. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, uh, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall not much more uh, clothe you, O ye of little faith. So the Lord is questioning these things. Now, this, like I said, is true faith. This is when you can walk out believing God, doing his will. You'll see people when you see them, but this is when you are totally God conscious. Mm -hmm. Verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, or wherewithal uh, shall ye be clothed. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. So you see, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye uh, have need of all these things. So when anytime you hear the word Gentile, a Gentile is like, because the children of Israel were God's people, you can say in today's terms, the church is God's people. A Gentile is a worldly person. This is how worldly people think. And this is why when you tell people that don't believe in Jesus, when they're having hard times, you say to them, hey, trust in the Lord. And the person literally feels like they are being written off. How many times have you ever gone to someone and said, hey, you need to trust Jesus? And those people get almost upset with you because what they wanted to hear is you're going to loan them the money, you know, or you're going to sit on the phone and talk to them all night or you need a solution right now. So he's saying the worldly people, the Gentiles see it this way, where if I don't see what's in my bank account, then my, my situation can't be met. Where we are not supposed to be natural minded, we're supposed to believe that God can do all things mm -hmm. and provide for you out of nothing. Because there's nothing too hard for God. Exactly. Verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So the Bible makes clear here that to worry is a sin. We're supposed to really believe God. When we don't have a way out, we're supposed to, we can ask the Lord, but we can also say the Lord will provide. He will take care of these things. And we have to believe him in order for us to, to receive these things. Mm -hmm. But he's saying the first, seek the kingdom. See, a lot of people don't want that. All right, I'll seek the kingdom, but I got to have a salary too in case things don't go right. That's not the way it goes. Yeah, Martin? Oh, thought you were going to say something. Alright, let's go to First Timothy chapter 6. Anybody have any questions? Anything they want to add? First Timothy chapter 6. So I think what's going to really, you know, keep a lot of people from pursuing the Lord is idolatry. I think that is the biggest sin that's going to lead most people to hell because... Idolatry is so easy to do. It's so easy to play something before Jesus. It's so easy to worship anything, whether it's sports or TV or whatever. 
There are people who won't even come to study because they, they love their sport. Oh, well, the game is on. I can't make it tonight. You know, and I'm not saying they have to. The, the Lord is wherever you are if you're a real believer. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying you got people that won't even do that because they care about this stuff. Yep. And it takes the Lord to really pull these things out of us that we may see right. All right, so 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to start at verse 3. Right, and it says, If any man teach um, otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, wherefore, whereof um, cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings, uh, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. So the Lord is not really against abundance, but if you notice, he said gain is godliness. There are some people that will tell you, God is blessing me, look at all that I have. Okay, so if we were to take that perspective, how many people don't know God that got more than you, or or as much as you have? You can't go according to all the, the worldly stuff that you have, as God's blessing for you. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he can't provide, but those things don't show blessings. Okay? Now, if the Lord gave you something specifically, then yeah. But people always say, man, look at my house, look at my car, look at my bank account. God is blessing me. Well, what about that Hindu that, that lives in a, you know, 10-room mansion? Now what? Is God blessing him? Or is he just seeking the riches of this world? Okay? So the Bible is just saying it's not a good enough excuse. If gain is godliness to you, the Bible is saying, withdraw yourself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, you know, some people, I've heard people say, I don't want to be rich, but what I would like to be is wealthy. Or I'd like to have my needs met from day to day. Those people have a a better understanding of what contentment is. Because if you trust in the Lord and he's meeting your needs every day, then that takes away your effort to want to do something else. It gives you more faith in God. If you don't know how he's providing for you every day and he's providing, that's better than you trying to go into your account book and balance your checkbook and, wait, this bill's coming out and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And I'm not saying that you can't do those things, but I'm making the point that if you trust God, then you you have no worries. He provides for you. Okay, so he's saying that godliness with contentment is great gain because you're happy to have God. Of all the things you could ask for, Solomon could have asked for many things. He asked the Lord for a hearing heart and for his wisdom, and the Lord gave him riches. Why? Because the wisdom of God will lead to abundance. It can give you everything you need, and you'll be content with it. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Like I used the excuse before, we can love so many things in this life. I don't know what I can say that I have that's special around here. But whatever it is, you can't pack it in my casket with me when I die. All right? I will never be able to do anything with this stuff in this world in the next life. I'm going to be dead knowing nothing. Okay? So he's saying you just can't take it with you. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. So he's saying, you know, 
be grateful for the necessities. Lord, you're providing for my family. You're providing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're giving me a good night's sleep. I have your peace over my mind. That's gain. That's godliness. But some people will want to be filthy rich and be miserable. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, he's saying just love the necessities and the Lord will add on to you. Nine, but they that will to be rich or they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Okay, because there are a lot of people that, you know, they think Hollywood is all it's cracked up to be. You hear from a lot of celebrities that will be honest, the crazy and perverse things they do. Mm-hmm. I think it was Rihanna or Nicki Minaj said that you have to write your name in blood to get a contract with them and sell your soul to Satan in order to become a star. Now, I know that sounds crazy because the limelight tells you, man, this is all beautiful. These people are living it up. But you don't know that when they say cut, how miserable these people are, where they'll say, man, now go go sleep with my man or whatever like that. You know, I got an appointment with you and him. And you would think, man, Nicki Minaj take orders like that? Oh, yeah. Okay, riches don't stop you. When you when you give your life over to these worldly people, they control everything you do. Mm-hmm. And when you want to come out with the truth, like Michael Jackson or Prince or any of these guys that want to talk, hey, you know, you either play ball or you deal with the consequences. And I'm not saying I don't care for these people. I'm just bringing up the point that this world is not all it's cracked up to be. All right? This world is satanic. This world is run by Satan. And if you expect to have peace outside of God, you will never have it, no matter what riches you have, mm-hmm. no matter what you gain. Look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, he did not say money is evil. Anybody that thinks that money is evil, you can give it to me. All right? He says the love of money is the root of all evil. So when you worship this, when you love it, that's when it has control over you. All right? So he says... Um, Uh, let's see, the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, so some people are greedy after, they have erred, meaning erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, so he's speaking to us now, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, Whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And that's why Paul tells you in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to do the work of an evangelist. He said, make full proof of your ministry. When Jesus is talking about pursuing him and doing his will, then you have to know that there is nothing greater than that. And we cannot allow ourselves to not be fruitful in the kingdom of God by falling into diverse lust, you know, and that's just one example. We're not going to stay on riches, but these things are what take people down. All right, so uh, from here, let's go on to, um, well, I do want to go to Matthew 19 and 16. I know we've been here, but this is one more thing concerning riches, and we'll move on. Matthew 19 and 16. Is it too warm in here, guys? No. You feel warm? No. Oh, uh, must be me, dude. <laughs> no. Sitting up under this. Sweatshirt. 
Probably. I feel like I'm watching, I'm seeing the devil in here sitting on the couch. <laughs> like, I am hot. All right. No more jokes, Lord. I apologize. Matthew 19 and 16, and it says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, uh, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but God, uh, but one, well, but one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, Which, Jesus? I mean, which Jesus said, thou shalt, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? So the guy said, man, I'm flawless, I've done all of this, what else do you want from me? Look at verse 21, Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell everything thou hast and give to the poor, and uh, thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. All right. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So you see, if Jesus said the two laws that we ought to keep or commandments is loving the Lord and loving your neighbor, which one did the young rich man violate here? He didn't love the Lord, you know, so it didn't matter about what he was doing in his works. When it came down to pursuing the Lord, he, well, I'm not giving up my riches, so I don't love you that much. So, see, that's why he tried to butter Jesus up saying, oh, good master. And Jesus is like, why are you calling me good? You don't even know what good is. You're not even a good man yourself because you keep your riches and get rid of me. That's right. All right, so... Verse 23, And Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceeding amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, I mean, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen. So he understands that man would never be able to walk this thing out. We've have scriptures talking about that Christ in you, Jesus Christ in you, is the hope of glory. All right? God only deals with God. He doesn't deal with you and me. He deals with Christ in you. When he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in you, then God can trust you and deal with you. He knows that we're too nasty, we're too filthy, we're too selfish to do what the Lord is telling us to do. So therefore, he doesn't trust you and I. He trusts Jesus Christ in you. If you think he's relying on you and I to do the work, no. That's why the Bible says when our obedience is fulfilled, then we can go in and revenge all disobedience. What is our obedience? of being fulfilled is being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. It's having the Spirit of God to walk this thing out. Right. Because if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you really have a powerless salvation. You might be saved, but how long will you stay saved? Because you won't have it in you to do what the Lord is calling you to do. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts will be so far from God. Anybody's going to say something? I was just going to say the oh. kingdom of God is power. That's right. All right, so the story about the guy. Do we know that he didn't give away all of his possessions? 
Yeah, because they say he walked away sorrowful. But he's sad because he has to give up all of this stuff, and that makes him sad. And that later, yeah, but he then went Jesus, out and then he was fulfilled. Jesus. That's how I finished it in my head. I was just wondering. If that no, was right, but look where it says. Um, but look what it look where it says. Um, he said the man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. There's actually another account in Luke that explains it. But Jesus said, "Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven." Mm -hmm. So that tells you there that he was making an example of this guy. Mm -hmm. So you see why rich people won't make it. You know he didn't want to follow him. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, "Sell it and follow me." This guy just. But if you go into the Luke account, it actually does say more. It finishes yeah. It. And if he's sorrowful, then that means he, he loves something more. Right. You know, he loves yeah. it more. Mm -hmm. And it says, like, in the Bible, too, like, don't turn back. You know, like, when you let it go, you're not supposed to, like, turn yeah. your heart back yeah. to it. Exactly. You just want him to come around later. Yeah, I mean, he may have, but, you know, at this point, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I ain't giving up a thing. Yeah. He didn't even say I give away half. This man was sold on his riches. He didn't even ask questions about it. He was like, how? Nah, he was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus was like, all I need is a penny. Oh, I got to give up. Oh, no, I can't do that. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But he said, if you will be perfect. So we're going through this perfection process of being Christ conscious. Mm -hmm. Verse 28 of 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, behold, we have forsaken all. We have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Uh, then Jesus uh, said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So what the Lord told them was what their inheritance would be. But notice he says, if you follow me in the regeneration. One thing we have to understand about salvation is this. It wasn't just about Adam and Eve falling. And then, you know, mankind needed a savior. The devil got into our gene pool. Okay. He got into our, our genetics. That's why the Bible starts off in the book of Genesis. Okay. Unto Revelations. It means beginnings, but... This is why they needed Jesus Christ, who had no earthly father, to regenerate man, to get man to be born again. Mm -hmm. And when you're born of the Spirit, it does change your nature. Because the Lord is not going after what you do. See, we, we don't sin because it's what we do. We sin because it's what we are. We are sinners. Satan destroyed our gene pool because we followed him. So sin is in your children's genetics, in, in your children's children's. It's the regeneration process of being born of the Spirit is what changes you and I. Because no one teaches you to be bad. As a child, think about it. As a child, you do bad all by yourself. You are selfish by nature. Okay? You lie. No one teaches a child how to lie. You, you can have two children, and you go to them and say, which one of y'all broke that lamp? You know, and one of them will cry and tell the truth. The other will... Huh? Well, it, it was already like that when I came in. So, I mean, you've got some kids that no one has to teach a kid how to, how to be bad. It is in your nature. And this is the regeneration process of being born of the Spirit to pursue the Lord. Mm -hmm. And everyone that hath forsaken house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall... um inherit everlasting life but many that are first shall be last 
and the last shall be first. So he's talking about, you know, it's not how you walk into this thing, it's how you finish. There are a lot of people that you think because they're a drug addict or a whore or something else on the street, people think that, oh man, they're miserable. You watch how many of those people get saved, and you watch how many self-righteous people in church that don't want to preach the gospel because they're too good to take a homeless person in and give them dinner. You watch how many of them are going to be locked out for not doing the Lord's will. Exactly. Okay? So he's saying forsake. He doesn't mean forget. He's saying these things can't hinder you. They can't hinder your walk. You've got to love Jesus Christ more than anything else in this world. All right, so from here, let's go to um, Matthew 10. I want to keep it close. That way we don't have a lot of turning. This is a big one, too, that's going to hurt a lot of people. Yeah, you got to forsake a lot to walk with Jesus. That's right. Okay. It's such a blessing once you get to know It is. You know, it's like, I think what, what makes it hard for us is we don't really know what it is to be clean. But once you start to become clean and the Holy Ghost shows you how dirty you are and in need of a Savior, you got no problem making that decision. Well, especially but, like in today's generation because it's starting younger and younger. Mm -hmm. You look at everything around you. If you come out of it, I mean, there was a time that the Lord delivered you. You could go and tell people, and at least five or six people would listen to you. But now, trying to get one or two people to listen, oh, man. you know, is it, it's, it's hard. hard. It's like pulling teeth. But, you know, the Bible says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And who the God of this world blinds the minds. And unless the, the light mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ comes unto that person, people are walking around in darkness. Mm-hmm. Alright, so it says, um, verse 9, this is uh, Matthew 10 and 9. Provide neither gold nor silver or brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither uh, two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staffs, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And enter whosoever city or town uh, ye shall enter, inquire who is in, who it is worthy and there abide till you go thence. So, you know, if you go into a city and you find out who's worthy, hang out with the believer, you know, or someone who will believe until. Verse 12, And when ye come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace uh, come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. In other words, you go to minister and no one wants to, you know, hear you, move on. Mm -hmm. Uh, verse 14, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So we can't get hung up on, we talked about this before, when it comes to winning a soul to Jesus Christ, we can't get hung up on those who don't believe. A newsflash for us all, most people are not going to want to hear the truth. Mm -hmm. Most people are going to mock and ridicule and not want to be bothered. So we can't get our hopes up believing people are going to like you just because you brought the gospel. Okay? People are going to hate your guts. All right? There may be 1% or 2% that you may see out of, out of 100. See, you can go and minister before 100 people, but I guarantee you while everybody's booing you and threatening you, there may be three people in that crowd that may say, you know what, 
I think they're telling the truth. They may not tell everybody else that, but you can tell something may have penetrated to them to where they'll want to pursue it. And you know what? If that's the case, then that's who you came for. You didn't come. You came for the masses, but if they don't want to hear it, you can't get hung up on trying to get people to like you. This is an unpopular gospel. Jesus said, "If they persecute me, they'll persecute you. If they hate it, witness to those people. What's that? A witness to those people who mm -hmm. deny Christ. Yeah, it's a witness against them. Mm -hmm. So we get points with Jesus Christ for being faithful, not for being successful. If we had to go according to numbers, you were going to be unsuccessful." You're going to lose more than you will gain. But the fact of the matter is, he's being pleased by your work. So he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So we can't respond to violence. He's saying, be wise. Now he's saying the serpents are wise, they're crafty. It doesn't mean that we walk in craftiness, but to have discernment. There are some things you may want to go to minister and the Lord will tell you, uh-uh, not right now. It's not because you're afraid to get in trouble, but this isn't the time. I have another purpose for you, mm -hmm. and we can handle this later. But see, some people come up bold with no discernment. Well, I don't care. I'm going to preach these words the way I want to. Then you get fired, and then the Lord will say, well, there were two people on that job I wanted you to talk to. Right. But because of you and your big mouth not listening to me, now my will can't be done. Thanks a lot. Do you know? So this is why we got to go according to what the Spirit says. It's not about trying to be brave. Verse 17, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. So he's saying that, you know, in their synagogues, he's dealing with the religious crowd here. I'll tell you, there is nobody that gets more angry with you talking about Jesus than church people. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe me, go and preach. And I'm not saying all churches and all people in churches. I'm saying that for all these people that will raise their hands and shout and scream, praise Jesus, you tell them something in this Bible that's not right and watch the response you get. Well, I don't care. That's your opinion. So wait a minute. I thought we were Christians. I thought we believe in the Word of God. And they'd be, well, I don't care because you offend me and this and that. You'll find how many church people actually hate Jesus. I'm being up front. Verse 18. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake, for the testimony against them and the Gentiles. Because we have to understand, too, that Jesus Christ, he wasn't killed by Rome. What killed him was the religious system. It was the Pharisees. It was his so-called people that turned him in. The Romans only did what was asked. But the Romans didn't care whether Jesus lived or died. That wasn't their purpose. But you found it was all the religious leaders who did not want to hear the truth. And you're going to find that today. When the gifts of the Spirit begin to manifest and we start doing all the things that the Lord says, laying hands on the sick and people get healed. Now you have this power and you're doing this in a church. And then when you see the pastor up there that's been a pastor for 30 years that don't even believe in the spiritual gifts, what do you think he's going to say? He ain't going to say praise the Lord. Because you just pretty much took his church from him. What he's going to say is, you're doing those words through witchcraft by the devil. we got to get rid of this guy. He's going to mess up my money. So we got to understand, our biggest threat is going to be the religious system. It's not going to be the world system. Because mm -hmm. yeah, the Romans actually even offered to let him go. You yeah. Know, they gave him the choice. Yeah, they didn't care one way or another. And if you read Luke 23, it says, Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Rome, and King Herod, who was supposed to be the, the leader of the Israelites, 
when they came together, I mean, the day that Jesus was persecuted, those two became friends. So our biggest threat in this world is going to be the religious system and the government. But if you think the government is writing all these rules against the church by themselves, you're mistaken. It's the religious system that's got a problem with the, with the Christian because the religious system is saying, hey, let's have Chrislam. Let's just build. You, know, you guys never heard of Chrislam? They're talking about merging Christianity with Islam and, you know, the Catholic Church is out there, you know, packing everybody together. You got the Native American system together. You got um, oh, the Shah of Iran. You got all these groups coming together under the Pope. And, and the only one that's going to be standing outside of this are those who are faithful to Jesus saying, no, this is wrong. We don't worship a Pope. We don't worship a pastor. We don't worship anybody but Jesus Christ. And you're going to anger people with that because they want peace. But, you know, we got to stand on the truth. That's right. All right. So uh, verse, uh, I want to skip down. Uh, verse 21. And he says, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Now, I know this is a hard reality for people, but the reason why Jesus was telling us that we need to pursue him and love him more than anything is because what we're going to see is this thing is going to be spirit to spirit. It's going to be what spirit you're of. It's not going to be blood relation. Blood relation is going out the window. And if anybody don't believe that this war is going on, go to your family members unsaved and preach the gospel and see what reaction you get. Watch how many people will turn, man, I don't want to hear that garbage. You know, don't come in here and tell me how to live. This thing is going to cut so fine, it's going to even come between husband and wife. Not all husbands and wives, because some will be yoked in the spirit. But you're going to find some that are going to say, you know what, I was with you in this, but now things are getting a little crazy, so I think I'm going to have to back up off you and you pursue Jesus. And it's going to break your heart, because then you're going to have to decide, do I go with Jesus? Or do I go with my wife or husband? You know, but this thing is going to cut so fine down the middle that it's going to be those who want Jesus and those who don't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why we have to pray together. We've got to be strong together. All right, so it says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth unto the end uh, shall be saved. I want to skip down to when he says, verse 23. Oh, well, I was there. But when they persecute you in the city, flee into another city. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. Um, it is enough for the disciple to be as his master and the servant as his Lord. So he's saying, you can't be above Jesus, but you can be like Jesus. Okay, but he says... If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them uh, of his household? So if they call Jesus names, they're going to call you names. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that ye speak in light, and what ye hear uh, in the ear, that ye preach uh, from the housetops. So if Jesus is telling us things in secret, then we should be telling everyone, speaking before all. All right, so he says, And fear them, and fear not them which kill the body, 
but are not able to kill the soul, rather fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people have a hard time looking at Jesus like this, but Jesus is trying to let you know, if you're going to fear somebody, fear me, not man. Because as long as you fear man, you'll never do the will of God. Because you're worried about your job. You're worried about losing your life. Nobody can, can take anything from you unless the Lord allows them to. And we've got to be strong enough to believe that. Sarah, Ryan, and I, we got in trouble on the job, but they were never able to move us from that site. No matter how much we preached, no matter how much trouble we did, no matter what happened, it just seemed like the people that tried to get us kicked off the site, they ended up getting kicked out. All right? So no one can do anything to you unless the Lord says so. Now, when our time was up, he moved us from the site. But while we were there, no one could do anything as long as we were doing his will. So we've got to believe him that way. All right, I want to go down to um, verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So, you know, Jesus is listening to everything we do. If you be ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. Now, these things do take growth. So I'm not acting like, you know, because you denied him once that he's done with you. No, he's given us the grace enough to be strong in him and to have faith in him that we may do his will. But look what he says in verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. So the Lord is coming for war. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That war has been going on forever. But I'm just saying this is what the Lord <laughs> intends to do is that he means to, the only way to preach the gospel, we're going to have family members turn on us. You're going to have friends walk out of your life to pursue Jesus. But he's saying if that be the case, so what? Verse 36, And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. So when he means about losing your life, he doesn't exactly mean being killed. He means that if you want to have your life and your abundance now, then you can forget about eternal life because there's no way to serve him in your life. But he's saying that if you shall lose your life as in deny yourself to pursue him, you'll find eternal life. But there are people who have been murdered for delivering the gospel. But that's at the cost of eternal life because if that's what you're concerned about, you can care less about anything else. Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's hear what a real believer did and what happened to him. What time is it? Because I don't want to go overboard. Nine. Nine o'clock. Okay. Corinthians what? Um, chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 1, and then we're going to move down. But I just want to uh, read this. I enjoy reading this. But he says, Would to God that ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. 
For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin. So the Lord is saying he's got a right to be jealous because he took you from all your sin and justified in the spirit. When the Holy Ghost comes upon us and we are born again in the eyes of God, it is just as if we've never sinned. It is like truly being clean in your life all over again. He says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, subtlety through his softness, uh, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And what he means by this is a lot of things, but one example I'll use is there are people that don't believe if you're not in a church building, you can't be following Jesus. See, so that's, that takes away from the simplicity, which is relationship with Christ. Some people feel like, man, unless I'm in a church, then I can't be close to God. When Jesus in, intended for us to be the temple, the temple was done away with when Jesus Christ, and I'm not speaking against the church. A church should have order. There should be pastors, apostles, prophets. I'm not speaking against that. But what I'm saying is it's a moving organism. It is not stuck in one place. But the point I'm making is, is that a lot of people will flock to the church. And when people get saved, the first thing they'll do is they'll run right past Jesus into religion. It's amazing. The Lord will reveal his spirit to us. And then he's like this. Come on. And you're running right past him to the nearest church. And then you end up there until religion works out of you and you start to pursue Jesus. But, you know, we are the temple of the living God. But you find that people will run right past. When, when people, when you tell them they need to be saved, what do they say? You're going to take me to church? That's the first thing that pops into people's minds. Verse 4. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if we receive another spirit, which he have not received, or another gospel, uh, which ye have not accepted, ye might bear well with him. So the Bible is telling you here to be careful, because there is another Jesus. You ask any Mormon, you know, you ask any Jehovah's Witness, any Catholic, you know, I hate to say it. I mean, you know, it's another Jesus because there's nothing before Jesus Christ. You can't have a vicar of Christ before Jesus. Jesus and, um, and Lucifer were not brothers. Okay, Jesus is not Michael the Archangel. But this is what these religions believe. So they serve another Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. You can't put Mary before Jesus. Jesus Christ is Jesus alone. He is, he is Lord alone. All right, where, where is it, Sarah? Because I know you know this. 16. It's 16, okay. All right, so it says, I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. So he's saying if anybody wants to boast about what they do for the Lord, check out his resume. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as um, it were foolishly in the confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak, Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, so I so am I I am bold also. 
Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, uh, in depths off. So Paul's life has been threatened here. He's been in prison more than he was free. You know, you can look that up. And then it says he had stripes laid upon him. He was beaten a lot, but then he labored more abundant. Verse 24, of the Jews five times, um, I 40 stripes saved one. So five times he received 40 stripes. He was whipped 200 times in his, time, in his life pursuing Jesus Christ. But look who did it. The Jews. It was the religious crowd. There was no Romans here whipping Paul. This is the point. Verse uh, 25. Thrice, three times I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Um, a night and a day I have been in the deep. So Paul's suffering. Verse 26. In journeying often in perils of uh, waters, in perils of robbers. So Paul's been robbed. In perils of mine own countrymen. His own people didn't want him. Mm -hmm. In perils by the heathen. The unbeliever doesn't want him. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. So there were people that were walking with Paul, acting like his friends, only to betray him. Verse 27. In weariness and painfulness and watchings often. In hunger and thirst and fastings often. In cold and nakedness. Now, Paul had no clothes delivering the gospel. Verse 30, not all the time, but, you know, in some situations. But, hey, man, you know, this is when you are really sold out for Christ. 28. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So the reason why Paul is doing this was the care for all the churches. He wanted people to receive the gospel. He didn't want anyone to be damned. So his life has been on the line. Verse 29. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I if I must needs glory. Oh, that's what it says. If I must needs glory, I will glory in things which concern my infirmities. So he's glorying in his hurt and pain and suffering. This is a real man of God. Verse 31. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which is blessed forever, knoweth that I lie not. So Jesus is his witness that he's done this. 32. In Damascus, the governor under Eratus, uh, the king kept the city to the Damascenes uh, with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. So understand this. This is a governor of a city that's after Paul. That's just like having a senator come after you today. Imagine Barack Obama when he was senator looking for you because you're preaching the gospel. This is how popular you become, that you are going to become a threat to this world preaching the gospel. And people will want you. Look at verse 33. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. So Paul had to run for his life to preach the gospel. I mean, now if you look at this, I'm not saying we have to be this. But what I'm saying is this is someone that is truly sold out for Jesus. Never once thinking of himself, but thinking of the church, thinking of your salvation. And thank God for the people that 
you know, during the Reformation period, lost their lives to protect this word. Yep. There were people that were put on the guillotine because they were hiding Bibles, trying to make sure the word of God survived when the Catholic Church was trying to kill everybody in sight. Everybody in sight, trying to wipe everyone out. But thank God for them, mm -hmm. that you were able to have a Bible in your lap today for those people giving up their lives. We should never be conscious of self. We should always be conscious of God. Now, this takes time, but look at what sacrifices they've made in order to have these things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we got a long way to go. If we want to consider ourselves like them. Oh, yeah. Long-suffering, the fruit of the Spirit. That's right. Um, I do want to make a point in Luke uh, 21 and verse 29. I'm not going to hold everybody much longer and just make a couple of quick points. Well, and even concerning um, being able to read the scripture, there was, you know, certain families that even memorized whole whole Bible, like... Uh, 21 and 29, yeah. Like whole books. Mm -hmm. They would memorize, they would make their kids memorize whole books of the Bible so that way they could actually write it down. Exactly. You know, so, I mean, it was actually, I mean, there was a time when reading the scripture was something that people held tight to, very tight to, because they knew it was the truth. No, you're absolutely right. You think about they don't have books of stories back then, just the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the story. I was wondering why I couldn't find it. I was in Luke 22 looking for Luke 21. All right, Luke 21 and verse 29, and it says, And he spake unto them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth, ye seek and know of your own selves. Uh, the summer is now, is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, uh, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. So, you know, I don't like to speak negative about a lot of things, but I'm, I'm trying to get people to understand that these times are not going to be as joyous as people are making them out to be. I fear the Lord in telling everyone the truth and all the things that, that are coming upon us so we can prepare and be right in Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, if I didn't love everyone, I wouldn't tell them that. I tell you, man, things are getting better and better. Why? So that way you can make, you can like me, and then I don't have to worry about people not liking what I said. So, you know, if someone loves you, they'll tell you the truth. Verse 32, Verily I say unto you, the generation shall not pass away, this generation, till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your heart be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. So you guys know what surfeiting is, right? No. Overeating. Okay, the Bible is saying if you're overcome by overeating, you know, and drunkenness, because, you know, a lot of people, the Bible speaks about fasting, but you got a lot of people that won't. How are you going to say you're a pastor and you're 400 pounds? Talking about we need to overcome. Man, you've been overcome by your God. What Paul says in, in, in um, Philippians chapter 3 is that your God becomes your belly. And it's true. Anything that is your God will get bigger on you. You like to pump weights in the gym, work out. You know, you're, you're an idolater to self. Man, you know, 
This is your God. You watch more TV than anything, there's your God. You eat like a pig, your stomach will reveal that this is your God. All right, I can't fast because I'm too hungry. So he's saying if we're overeating and we're drunken and the cares of this life, you know, we go after, these things can hit us unawares. You can be partying, living it up, and then before you know it, you know, well, economy collapsed, and you haven't even sought the Lord yet. So the Bible is saying we are to be aware of these times. Mm -hmm. So our gods can't be our belly. Now, I'm not going to tell anyone too fast. I believe the Lord would encourage believers to fast. There are times when I'm eating too much, and the Lord will say, hey, we need to go on a fast. You know, he's like, you don't believe me? Look at your, you know, look at your belt line, you know? So you just have to know you got to obey because the the less um, emphasis you put on your flesh, your spirit, man, will get stronger. Oh, yeah. Okay? So then he says, For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You know, I had to read this chapter over because Steve Quayle tried to turn it into things coming up on the earth and all that stuff. But as I look at this, I'm looking at the Lord pretty much saying that if you don't keep up under your body and you don't pursue Christ in the inner man and have him built up, these things will come upon you. When you ignore your flesh, your flesh will get strong on you. Your flesh will desire things that are so against God. So he's talking about keeping up under your body and pray that you're accounted worthy that these things won't get a hold of you. Because a lot of people are going to give in for overeating. A lot of people are going to give in because they love this or that. So, you know, you want to stay under the Lord and doing what he calls us to do. That's right. Um, Luke 19, and we're... I want to go to... Um, Luke 19. I hate when I put down a chapter and I don't look for which verses in particular. I don't write them down. guys i'm sorry for skip luke 19 we're going to go to um first john chapter 2 and we're going to end it there all right you know first john chapter 2 sorry at the back of the bible because you know you're not going to get a chance to get everything so you may as well hit the key points we're always short on time but you know if you want jesus christ man just pursue him oh yeah pursue right. him all right Pray you're talking about this a little bit. Remind me of um, today. Scripture came to me in Romans eight about um, says you know sacrifice your body as a holy sacrifice to the Lord, mm -hmm. and then you do that first. You put your flesh out for Him, and He sanctifies you, and He renews your mind. Romans eight or twelve? You know, I asked him that. I said eight or twelve, and I wasn't sure. It's twelve. Is it twelve? Yeah, because okay. I was like, man, like <laughs> maybe that was it. What? You gonna tell the story about the lady? Safely. Oh, yeah. Well, you already know it. So There's a woman in Safeway um, right over here. She's a, um, 
like she was a cashier, and this woman can talk. I mean, she was just talking about every little thing. Every person that walked up, she had a subject. Carla knows who she is because we found out it's the same woman. But she's just always yapping oh, yeah. about what's going on and this and that. So we had a couple of people in line in front of us, and there was a woman probably Russian or from Ukraine. She was in line paying for her stuff, and the girl said to her, have you ever thought about where the concept of time comes from? That's interesting. That woman looked her in her eyes and said, God Almighty, sister, or something like that. And the girl was like, oh, well, I don't know. I believe that. And I was like, amen. You know, I was in the back. But we were supporting it, and, you know, we were trying to tell her about it, but she kept going off into other things. But we've got to be that bold because some people have never heard the truth like mm -hmm. that. I don't care where we are. That's why they never ask me my opinion at, at work, you know, concerning things. They know I'll be, hey, far as I know. <laughs> they start talking politics. I'm like, man, I don't care about that trash. Okay. All right, anyway, First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 1. Everybody there? My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and is not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So it's not just for us. So if we know that he's a propitiation and appeasement for the whole world, and we call ourselves the body of Christ, we need to deliver this word to the whole world. Mm -hmm. Verse 3, And whereby do know that we that we know him if we keep his commandments. So regardless of how much of this Bible we know, if we don't do what the Lord tells us to do, you don't know God because you're not the same spirit. Mm -hmm. All right, verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now we know those commandments are loving your Lord and loving your neighbor. Verse 5. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby um, know we that we are in him. So that's why Jesus told the young man, sell everything you have. So if you want to be perfect, and the guy was, he walked away. Because he didn't know Jesus. Six, <coughs> he that saith, uh, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So when it talks about counting the cost, we ought to know this. Because a lot of people get saved and, you know, they just want to feel good the rest of their lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the Lord makes clear that we're in a warfare. And if we're his battle axe, then we should be out there preaching the word and doing the will of God. The Lord, why would we wear armor if we're not at war? Mm -hmm. We clear, How are you going to have a whole bunch of armor on and you're not at war? We're in a warfare spiritual or otherwise. Um, all right, verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, uh, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. So you see how the Bible even talks about the Levitical law as being darkness. You see how it talks about those people that want to keep the Sabbath and then tell you you're wrong for keeping it. Mm -hmm. Those people are in darkness. The Sabbath was given under the law. Okay? This is talking about Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, little man. I'll get you out of here in a minute. Uh, verse 9. 
He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. So, you know, a lot of people may think we love our neighbor fully. We may have love for our neighbors, but the love Jesus is talking about is selfless love, forsaking self for a man, like what Paul did. Paul gave it all up. I mean, you would think after you've been stoned and, you know, beaten and all that, you'd give up. But that's not in a real believer. Verse 12, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. You, for his name's sake, I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. This is why I stay in touch with Dick and Marge. They're like elders in our group because, you know, I may have some experience, but Dick and Marge have seen everything that you can possibly see and having their lives, writ, you know, risking their lives for the gospel. I stay in touch with them because the old man knows the way from his experience, but the young man is strong. Like the Bible is saying, you need a combination of the two. You can't just have a bunch of old people because they won't go. You've seen that in church. You see, ever see in church people drying up like a leaf? They're just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't been there all them years, and they're just rotting away. They're not doing anything. But you see, the young man, he can be a little out of control, so you need a combination of both. <laughs> but, um, all right, so he says that, you know, if you abide in God, that you have overcome the wicked one. Jesus overcame the three things that we have to overcome, which is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil because he is our enemy. So Jesus, when he came here, wasn't enticed by anything the devil tried to offer him. The devil offered him the lust of the flesh. You know, wasn't happening. He offered him the pride of life. It couldn't work. So we've got to overcome these things to pursue Christ. All right, so it says... But love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not the Father, but in the world. Okay, so this is what the devil enticed Adam and Eve with. The same thing, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Jesus stood against it, and anyone that pursues Christ and follows Christ has to be the same. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, when you start to hear more people in colleges or in the medical world, in the scientific realm, you know, in government, wherever you are, whenever you start to hear, we don't, Jesus couldn't possibly be the only way. When you got all this false religion and stuff going on, this is clearly telling you that, that the spirit of Antichrist is on the scene. So we know that we're in the last mm -hmm. time. 
because it is so easy to lose your faith today. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So you don't have to worry about who's a real believer and who's not. As this thing began to heat up, you know, the real and the fake are going to be separated. You're going to find those that are built up in Christ that are going to say, hey, let's do it. And you're going to find others, whoa, man, I didn't know it was going to come to all of this. You know, somebody got arrested, I'm out of this. So the real church of God is going to, you know, persecution is going to reveal who the real and who the fake are. Because everybody's saved in peacetime. But when war comes, then we'll find out who's who. Okay, so he's saying that those people that went out, they weren't rooted like the parable of the sower. 20, but uh, ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and um, that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So I don't care what religion you're in. I don't care if it's your professor talking. I don't care who it is. Whenever you deny that Jesus is the Christ and the Christ alone and the Father you know, and the Son, of, you know, the Son of God, then you're dealing with an antichrist. Verse 23, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. So you don't have to strive to get the Father's love. All you need to do is be full of Christ, and the Father will love you anyway, since he and the Father are one. It's not through Mary, not through praying five times to the east in a mosque. It's not walking on your knees bleeding for salvation. This is all about pursuing Jesus Christ in the inner man to be one with Jesus Christ. Verse 24, let that, you, let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, uh, ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received um, of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as um, it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So he's saying that you don't need another man to teach you if the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The Holy Ghost, as Jesus Christ said, will come to speak of Jesus Christ and would lead you into all truth and all righteousness. So you don't have to pursue anybody but Jesus Christ, but... The Bible does say that he gave us pastors, apostles, teachers, prophets, and evangelists to perfect the saints. But what I'm saying is once you're at that point with Christ, you don't need anyone to teach you but the Lord if you're really serious. But, you know, those, those teachers are necessary. Verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, and when ye shall abide, ye may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So if you abide in Jesus Christ, remember the law was only made for an unrighteous man. If you abide in Jesus Christ, it's like you're going the speed limit. You're not worried about the police if you're going the speed limit. Now, if you're going over the speed limit and you hear a siren, you start thinking, whoa, they might be coming for me. Let me slow it down. 
But if you're living righteous, then you don't have to worry about this. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. What did Jesus say? You will know them by their fruit. So we have to count the cost to see if we have sufficient enough in us. Not only will our families be attacked, not only will our diets and, and the desires and appetites that we have for things, we may have to forsake. Not only will there be people in our lives that will walk away from us and trouble may come upon us, but you better count the cost to see if you want to walk with Jesus. Because when it comes down to it, there are a lot of things. As he said, the gate is narrow and the way is narrow. Everyone's not walking through that door with you. But it is our responsibility to tell them the truth. All right, so um, I know you guys may have to go whatever. I mean, I don't know. But I know that Carlin and Sarah, you won't really have to present tonight. Right? So, Carlin, if you want to present something real quick, you can. And then from there, we can conclude. Right, sorry to hold you guys so long. started in Psalms, so I'm going to have us head back real quick. It'll be Psalms 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doth shall prosper. So the delight in the law of the Lord is something that if you're constantly living in your flesh that's not something that you're going to be able to delight in mm -hmm. you're going to constantly feel convicted and you're not going to be able to actually experience God's love mm -hmm. so I'm going to have you guys jump over to Romans 7 and 21 and that delight in the law is really in the inner man that strengthens and quickens us that's right Romans 7? Yeah, 7 and 21. I think I told you guys. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inner man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So we've talked a lot about this, like that law of sin, which you're only convicted if you're constantly in your flesh, you know, because you're bound to those laws of lust, like through the eyes, through the flesh, like it says. But if you're constantly praying, seeking the Lord, following the spirit of the inner man, then you'll be 
exempt from those laws and the law of the Lord you get to delight in because that's where our true like our true riches and glory and everything comes in. So I'm going to have you guys jump back real quick. You guys don't have to. It's just one verse. But it's Genesis 6 and 5 if you want to write it down and check it out a little more on your own. So it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So even in the beginning, man is evil our imaginations and that's why it says in the bible to cast down our wicked imagination and, and bring every thought into the obedience of christ mm-hmm. because if we're not doing that then our mind which is connected to this world is running us through all kinds of evil you know like we're trapped in whatever stronghold it has whether it be i don't know music tv like we were saying or um, even um oh, sorry go ahead. Oh, well, it's the same phone yeah. Um, phones yeah. yeah that's a big one yeah. Or even if you try and tell, you bring someone the truth and the gospel, they, um, and they may be on point with you as far as many things go, like scriptures and whatnot, and then you get into certain topics that, because it's been a certain way that they've been taught their whole life, you know, it's almost like no matter what kind of scriptural proof that you bring to them, they can't get over that, that strong man. Of course, it's not us, it's Christ. He's the one that um, gets the increase. But it's just it's hitting that wall with somebody because you know they don't they don't want to give up certain certain belief systems or certain doctrines or certain pleasures certain pleasures mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. or what their family believes they don't want to you know offend their family just like what was taught tonight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. All right, um, and then I'll have you guys jump over to Galatians five and sixteen. And it's true, and even like with that, with our families, you know, those should be some of the people that, you know, it's hard, but obviously you want to see them in the kingdom with you, you know, so whatever it takes, like even if you know how they're going to respond because you know them better than anyone else, you know, you got to really confront them if that's what you want. Mm -hmm. But also, too, that boldness with strangers, because with strangers, you know, like you might not ever see them again, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe you were that one that hey, you gotta, I need you, like the Lord, the Holy Spirit inside of you mm-hmm. is telling you, I need you to say these words, you know, and say it when he tells you to jump. Yeah. Everybody wants to preach to save people. You know, we're supposed to be praying to preach it to the person that does it, though. Everybody wants to preach to somebody who already knows Jesus. You need to get out there. It's just like that day when you were sitting out in your car, you said you were at work, you wanted to grab your lunch, and you grabbed your Bible instead and talked to that man. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I can't believe that's still that's still is like wild. So you said Galatians five and sixteen. Yep. Uh, All right. So again, this I say then: walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led by the spirit, you are ye are not under the law. So um, this, like, constant war of, like, the flesh against the spirit, it's all the time. It doesn't matter how long, how strong you are in the, in the Lord. If you're not replenishing yourself with the scripture and fulfilling your spirit, then you're going to be subject to that. So you just got to make sure you're always doing it. And that's, like, what we're saying, like, fasting and everything like that, prayer. And getting together with believers, you know, so you can keep your temple keep holy. Keep you sharp, that's mm-hmm. right. Keep you sensitive to us. Iron sharper to fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, and then 
So I'm going to have you guys jump over to James 4 and 7, and I'll close out there. Sorry, I'm in John, that's why. Okay. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I was like that. You're taking after Derek. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking after me. You did it at the conference. The very first conference we were in, Sarah was like, oh, I'm in the wrong one. Sorry. <laughs> that is true. All right. <laughs> I guess I just had to build up a little bit of hype. You guys are all excited for it, so let me give it to you now. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So right there, submit to our Lord and Savior in the Spirit. You resist the flesh, you resist the devil, and you draw close to God. And away from the world. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's what I have. It doesn't mean you can't be in the world, but being of the world is what draws yeah, us into sin. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah, oh, that was awesome, man. All right, so you know, we're just going to close out. Tonight was about count the cost. So I guess we can just go out in prayer because one thing we don't want to do is find out we don't have enough in our tank to do the will of the Lord. So Christina's going to pray for us tonight. Whichever one doesn't matter. Either or. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody named Christina, doesn't matter. Maybe you should both be. I'm going to get them back there. Let me take off my glasses real quick. Okay. Woo! Yep, feeling the heat. Oh, the Holy Spirit. All right, Heavenly Father, we want to sit here with our heads bowed to you, Lord, submitting our flesh upon you, Lord. We want to get closer in the spirit. We ask that if there's anything going on in our lives, Lord, that you need to work through to sanctify, to blot out, to wash out, to cleanse, Lord. We ask that you unlift our veil and make it obvious so we can see that, Lord, and draw near and close to you, Lord Jesus, to do the will of the Lord. Your word says, if we ask, we shall receive, Lord. We ask that you build relationship with you, Lord. We ask for healthy and fruitful lives, Lord, the fruit of the Spirit, to be able to prosper to the people around us, Lord, to minister to the people around us, to help draw people in through the word of God, Lord, to build up our armor, Lord, to go out there with the shield of faith, Lord, and have no doubt, but to be confident in your word, Lord Jesus. Jesus. We ask if there's anyone here that needs healing, Lord, I ask that you put your hand upon them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I believe in your power and your divine love and healing, Lord, upon us, Lord. 
we rely on you. We need to rely on you, Lord. We can't rely on this world and the worldly things and ways for healing, Lord, for restoration, Lord, for guidance, Lord. We have to rely on you, Lord. We are weak without you, Lord Jesus. And we ask that you come into our lives and you strengthen us, Lord. That you allow us to lean on you, Lord Jesus. That you allow us to go upon our calling, Lord. Unlift that our eyes, unlift our spiritual veil, Lord, so we can see what that is. And that we go after it full on fire with the fervent spirit, Lord Jesus. And we ask that you build this kingdom, Lord. You keep us with a renewing of our mind, Lord Jesus. And that our inward man be cleansed, Lord Jesus, and new creature into the creature of Christ being rooted and grounded inside of us so we can be strong on the Christ of rock, Lord Jesus, the rock, Lord. You are our rock. But we ask that anything comes upon us, Lord, any strongholds, that you rip them out of our life, Lord. You break those chains, Lord Jesus, and that you give us the confidence in your power to cast them out, Lord. The discernment in situations when we are passing by people in the store, Lord, at work, Lord, to be able to listen to what you tell us to say, Lord, and have more confidence in you, Lord Jesus, and courage, Lord. We ask that you help us overcome the flesh by fasting and prayer, Lord Jesus, if you put it upon our heart, Lord. And we ask that we do it with a purpose, Lord, not just because, but because we want to figure out a why, Lord, to get closer to you, Lord Jesus, to feel the Spirit, Lord, to hear the Spirit, Lord, to walk in the Spirit, Jesus. We ask for a baptism in the holy fire and the Spirit, Lord, but upon all of us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.